looking at the last couple, four weeks, this will be number four, about the, uh, what is this thing called grace, and uh, really was doing it uh, in, in just a, 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 sim- a simple issue here of looking at the issue of, of the grace of God. And uh, we, again, we've seen what, God, what grace is. It's what God's doing today. It's that free principle, the free gift principle. We've been talking about our position in Christ, our identity. And as we've really been moving through Romans 6, 7, and 8 here, uh, as we've looked at this, and, and again, we, were, we looked at the issue of defining grace uh, in, in those three tenses of the, um, of the word salvation, if you will. And the issue of salvation being passed, that's God's riches at Christ's expense. And then present form, the present day, the, the, the walk, God's uh, grace rightly applied changes everything. And then that future grace, the future salvation, and that's the glorious revel- revelation that accomplishes Christ's exaltation. And we were looking at that. We've been introducing that. We begin to look at the issue of, of our identity, who we are in Christ, Romans 6. We're dead to sin but alive unto God. And the fact is, is that we need to be living consistent with that identity. And, and when we live consistent with that identity and who we are in Christ, and, you know, and it's a wonderful thing. You, you, you learn about it, and then you learn a little deeper, and you learn a little deeper, and, you learn, and it just keeps getting deeper and deeper. Paul calls it that unspeakable gift. It just gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and we were beginning to, to look at that in a very superficial manner of who we are and that identity. And then we're to live consistent with the, the, the program of grace, not law. Don't go back under the legalistic uh, ideas of, of performing and, and matching that to perform to get from God and to gain. And that's really Romans 7. We're dead to the law, but we're alive unto Christ Jesus. And then this morning, we're going to look here in Romans 8. And the issue here of really we need to walk like an adult. We need to think like adults. We not only do we need to walk in the idea of that, that sin does not have dominion over us. Why? Because we're under grace, not under the law. So we're, we're in the right walk. We're in the right realm. We're, we're living consistent with that. And then we're living consistent under the, the, the policies and the procedures. And again, I likened it to playing, playing a ball game. You put the uniform on, and now you're going to go represent that uniform, but we're going to then go play the game appropriately according to the right rules. And, and we were, Linda and I, we've been cleaning out old pictures and from her mom and dad, and there's some pictures in there of Brian when he's little, and he's in his baseball uniform. And, and he's got the uniform on, and it's, here's who he is. And then over here, he's in another picture, and he's not in a uni- in this. And, and that's literally your identity, if you'll think about it. Here's who you are in Christ. You put on that identity. You're sanctified. You're called to be saints. You live in the fam. Your family name is saint. That's your name. And because you live in, and because you have that name of a saint, There's a lifestyle that a saint is to go live, and we're to live consistent with that, and we're to live in line with that. And that's literally what Paul is getting at here in 6, 7, and 8. But in 8, he begins to come in, and he's like, okay, now here's who you are in the family. 
If you will look at verse 14, 814, and again, as we come to Romans 8, we're going to learn some things about you because he, God doesn't deal with you, doesn't look at you, doesn't think about you as a child, all right? Now, I know we're a child of God, but that's not, that's, that's, a, that's a title of who you are. He doesn't look at you as a child. He looks at you as an adult. And an adult, yes, an adult will learn and will grow and will continue to move forward. But an adult acts a certain way, thinks about things a certain way, takes on the understanding of things quickly, not progressively. You know, it's very interesting. How many times does it take a child to learn to not play in the street? You know, that was our big thing growing up. We couldn't play in the street. You know, we lived in the city, and we played in the street because we didn't have backyards. We didn't have play, or we played at the parking lot of the Catholic church or something like that. But what do you, it only takes a couple times of mom and dad getting on you that what do you realize? We're not playing in the street. But it's not for the first time, is it? It's always the third or fifth or tenth or hundredth, see. But with an adult, it's not that way. How many times does it, tell, does it take an adult to learn something? Usually pretty quickly to the first go. And that's literally what Paul's doing here. He, you are an adult in the family. Verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of a bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. To cry, Abba, Father, is a cry of an adult son. A child doesn't cry, Abba, Father. By the way, Abba, Father is only mentioned one other time, and it's in Mark. In Matthew, in that same event in the garden, Matthew says, My Father. So if you want to know what Abba means, it means what? My Father. There's that intimate cry of the Son of God hanging going to hang at Calvary in the garden, and, but it's an, it's an intimate cry of maturity, of adulthood. That's why you'll hear people call here in Romans 8, 14 and following the sonship, our, about our sonship. And really what happens with the issue of sonship is you're an adult, and here's what an adult does. Do you know what an adult does? An adult recognizes that this is what the father wants done, and now I'm going to go gladly do that without being pulled or prodded or yanked along. Now I'm going to go gladly do it. Paul uses a term in Romans 12 in verse number 1. He says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. He doesn't say, I'm begging you to do this. He says, based on the mercies of God that you've learned in the first 11 chapters, now I'm asking you to come over here and be this living sacrifice, have this idea of what a living sacrifice is all about, having my lifestyle and my, my thinking brought underneath the, the control of the Word of God rightly divided and His grace. And when I do that, what am I? I'm being led by the Spirit. I am the sons of God. I can cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And again, children there in the sense of, of, of identity. Here we are. Who are we? We're members of the church, the body of Christ. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
what we're reading here is a description of the privilege that we have as adults in the family of God, as sons of God, our sonship, the privilege that we have of coming and having a walk, walk like an Egyptian, no, walk like an adult, okay? You knew that was coming, didn't you? Some of you that know me long enough, you know, the 80s, and the, they just had 70s and 80s, you know, just some pretty good music, okay? 90s, all right? The stuff today you can't even understand, you know? I quit watching a lot of the pro game because I couldn't understand the music they're blaring. You know, it's like, oh, okay. Anyway, what, walk like an adult. Our sonship, the moment we're justified, the moment you come and trust Christ as your Savior, you are given this identity, your place. Now, he, does, he doesn't bore a hole in your head and dump it all in there. You've got to come and study it. That's why it's study to show thyself approved unto God. You've got to study it. It's a workman. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some thinking about it. It's going to take some bringing it down through our thinking. When he says there in verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now what happens is, is the leading of the Spirit. How does that work? How does the Spirit work? Does he whisper in your ear, go left, don't go right? That's, by the way, that's your GPS telling you that, and then you're lost. He doesn't talk to you like, how does he work? He works through his word. Come over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. The moment we're justified, the moment that we say I do to, to Calvary and our Savior dying and his <clears throat> infinite grace, his marvelous grace, the moment we say yes I need a Savior. Yes, I place my faith and trust in Him. Yes, He is all, and I, there's nothing I can add here. Ephesians 1, verse 13, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Ain't that wonderful? Did you feel Him? No. Yeah, but Rick, I felt something. Well, that, that's just the emotions of, your, of the moment. Wasn't the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, by the way, who does the sealing? The Father does. Who's he using? The Holy Spirit. But what happens is, is the Spirit begins to come in, and he begins to go to work. And he begins to work. You're in Ephesians 1. Come over to chapter 3. Just real quickly here. Chapter 3, verse 16. Chapter 3, verse 16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Where does the spirit work in? In your inner man. He's not working on you. He ain't changing your life. He's not making things easier for you or harder. He comes in and says, I'm going to equip you in your inner man and give you the capacity, the ability to figure out and to handle everyday life. And I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it through an operation. And he come over to Colossians 2. Come over to Colossians 2. And the, one of the things that he does to us is that little acronym CRIBS, C-R-I-B-S. He's going to circumcise us. Look, look at Colossians 2.11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made, now watch, without hands. Colossians 2.11. 
in the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, circumcision just simply means the cutting away of the flesh. And literally what's going to happen, verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him, through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. What he literally does is he comes in in a spiritual manner and he takes your flesh, that bondage of that body of sin, and he cuts your inner man away from it. So it no longer has a grip on you. So it no longer has a, has a hold on you, bondage. No longer has a chain on you. It can now be used, your body can be used for a vehicle to go and accomplish some good works that he's got for us to go do. But before that, before salvation, your body ran it. Your flesh is a pig. It loved, just feed me, feed me, feed And he just goes after the lust of the flesh. And Calvary comes in, the Holy Spirit comes in, and he literally just, it's a circumcision made without hands. He cuts you away from the bondage. He frees you from your old flesh. That's why Romans 6, when he says you're dead to sin, you're freed from sin, that's what's happening. That's why sin won't, sin only controls you because you allow it to control you. It's not designed that way. You have a different relationship with sin. That it is what? It's dead. And dead men don't talk. Okay? But yet you give it energy to talk to you. Come over to Titus chapter 3. Not only does he cut you away from your flesh, Titus 3 verse 5. Titus 3, by, uh, 3, 3 verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which he have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit, not only does he come in and cut your flesh away and, and free up your inner man, your spirit and your soul, but then he regenerates your spirit. He comes in and, and, and in Ephesians 2 verse 1, you were dead in trespasses and yet you're quickened. He comes in and he says that spirit where God communicates in spirit, I need that alive and the Holy Ghost comes in and he makes it alive. He regenerates it. He turns the lights on, if you will. And he makes it usable by God. So now your inner man, your soul and your spirit, that those two components of you that make up your inner man are usable, are accessible by God in God's Word. Come on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm doing this, <clears throat> well, one, because the Spirit's moving me. I'm doing this because I talk about cribs and I think sometimes you need to look at the verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 19. The eye, the indwell, he comes in and indwells you. What? Know ye not that you, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Boy, what a question that Paul is asking the Corinthians here. <laughs> look at that. You know that you don't belong to you? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know what he did? He reached into that slave market of sin, and he paid the price for you. And you trusted him. You believed that, that you were redeemed. So now I can just come over here and live any way I want. No, not at all. 
You belong to him. You belong to, he's, he's set up residence in you, permanent residence, by the way. That's what the indwelling is. Come over to chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. The, the B, the baptizing, chapter 12, verse 13. The me- mechanics of how you are placed into the church, the body of Christ. How am I placed there? Verse 13, 12, 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have, all, and, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. That's a, that's a dry baptism there. That's not water. By the way, water baptism only became an issue in your Scriptures, on the pages of your Scriptures, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Water baptism was never a Jewish thing back in the Old Testament. You know who was water baptized in the Old Testament? Priest. That's it. If you weren't in the family of Aaron, and if you weren't in the Levitical tribe, you didn't get touched with water, except when Mama made you go down to the stream and clean up. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when we have a dispensational shift now in the Gospels and Israel's program, now water baptism is an issue. Why? Because he's pulling out that little flock, that believing, that royal priesthood. That kingdom of priests. Because why? Because the message now is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's very interesting how things shift. Now, dumb thump Christians, we don't shift. We think we ought to be. No, how are we placed into the church, the body of Christ? By one spirit. The mechanism. Now come back to Ephesians 1. And that, here's the S. And this is the seal. So not only does he free us from our old flesh, talking about the working of the Holy Spirit, not only does he step in, Ephesians 2, 1 there, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, not only does he come in and regenerate our spirit and make it alive, not only does he come in and take up permanent residence, chapter 4 of Ephesians in the, in the ones, you have one spirit, one Lord, one Father, and we got them all in us, they're all there. Not only does he baptize us, and by the way, just baptism is the issue of identification. If you look at John chapter number 1, when John, when John baptizes the Lord Jesus Christ, it is to make him manifest to the nation of Israel. Baptism is just an issue of identifying. In Matthew 3, when he uses, John says, I'm going to baptize you with water, but he that's coming after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who got the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2? Only the believing remnant did. Actually, it was the 12 in the upper room, the 120 in that upper room, the 120 men up there. But then as we begin to add members to, what did they get? The Holy Spirit, see? It's identification. By the way, Matthew 3 says, and then he's going to baptize you with fire. Who got the fire? Who was burned up? The chaff, the unbeliever. See, it's identification. It's not always water. It's identification. Now, the sealing here. Sealing in Scripture is fantastic to study. When he seals you, there is a sense in, in, in Scripture, that issue of sealing, it, it implies a finished transaction. It implies security. It implies ownership. It implies identification. 
It implies secrecy. It implies obligation. It implies authority. It implies likeness. All of that is in the issue of sealing in your scriptures. When he seals you and I, there is a permanent security there because of verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. And there's that glorious revelation that accomplishes Christ's exaltation. And that's why he'll say over in chapter 4 of Ephesians, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto, not until, but unto the day of redemption. Until would be when it's here, it's done. No, it's unto. It's You're secure all the way out, all the way through. Now, come over with me to, to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So when you got saved, the Holy Spirit went to work. Why? You're an adult in the family. You're going to cry, Abba, Father, you need to know what he's doing to you. How in the world do you have the spirit of adoption? By the way, spirit in 815 is capital S. You have a spirit of adoption. You've, the spirit is working in you to cause you to understand, to get into your inner man and, and to get into there and begin to lead you into some understanding. And again, the Spirit is going to lead us today through the instrumentality of His Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? That's how you know things. you got the spirit of man. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. So if I want to know the deep things of God, who do I have to have? i got to have the spirit of God. How do I get that? For by grace are you saved through faith. i got to get justified. I get saved. He goes to work. He begins to regenerate my Spirit, my thinking, I've got that connection now with God. Verse 12, now we receive not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. My eye gate, my ear gate, my heart gate, verse 9, will never know the things that God had prepared for them to love, uh, prepared for them that love him. So how am I going to know that? How am I going to know that? He's revealed them by who? By the spirit in his word. The byproduct, the work product of the Holy Spirit is God's Word. By the way, the work product of our Savior is Calvary. The work product of the Father is the glory plan. It's the whole of it. And you know what? All three work in conjunction with each other. Now look at verse 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. By the way, notice it doesn't say spiritual things with spiritual things. It says spiritual things with spiritual. It's very interesting. When we compare things, we begin to look at these ideas and this with what? With spiritual. What's spiritual? The Word of God. The, spirit, the, the different things that come up in life and we're working in that manner. 
So as we take the word of God, come on over to 2 Timothy 3. You know these verses. As we take the word of God and we rightly divide it, the Holy Spirit takes that doctrine that as you read three chapters a day and as you put it into your thinking and he takes that and moves it from your thinking processes of your spirit and he puts it down into your heart and then your heart and your will say, that's what I'm going to go do. That's what I want to do. And the Spirit takes that and he begins to energize it and he begins to work it out. That's why 3.16 and 17, that's why the Bible issue is such an issue. That's why it isn't so much to to condemn or to mock anyone. It's so that you and I know where we get our information that's designed to impact you in your life so that you can walk like an adult, so you can do the things that are worthy of Him. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect. What does that mean? Perfect, never met. Thur- no. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Doesn't mean you never make a mistake. Doesn't mean you don't drop the ball and go, ooh, ooh, you know, cover that one up real quick. You know, the cat in the litter box. Not that at all. See? No, it says, listen, when I get to where I'm at, what can I do? I can take the word of God. It's designed. Come over to 1 Timothy. Chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I can take the Word of God. I can have that issue of Scripture working in my inner man from doctrine. Here's the truth, reproof. Here's the correction for some bad behavior. Here's the correction. Here's the correction for the bad doctrine. I've got all three, and that results in the instruction in righteousness. To have instruction in righteousness, you have to have doctrine, reproof, and correction. You can't get it any other way. That's how it's designed to work. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writing to Timothy, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. What kind of doctrine is that? The end of verse 10, that is contrary to sound doctrine, sound, life-giving doctrine, not Bible doctrine. Sound doctrine. By the way, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Acts are Bible doctrine. They're not sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is Romans to Philemon. Sound doctrine is what my, my foundation sits in. It's what's growing up in me. It's what's moving. Now, should we know Bible doctrine? Yes. No, no, I'm not saying don't. But just focus in on where? The good doctrine. The right doctrine. Verse 4, neither giving heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. So what's the Word of God going to do? It's going to bring in the edification that I need when I come along and I rightly apply it, and I've got it where it belongs. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Scripture is going to come in in chapter 4. Verse number 2, preach the Word, be instant in season and out of season. I I love that. In season, out of season. Oh, in the springtime, we nail them. And in the summer, we just take it. That isn't what he's talking about. He's talking about, man, when it's dangerous to preach the word, what are we to do? Preach the word. When it's safe to preach the word, what do we do? Preach the word. By the way, it's becoming dangerous to preach the word. 
Reprove, rebuke, what? Exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. You see, the second thing that Scripture comes in is there's an exhortation here. There's an exhortation to maintain and to do. Here's some things for you to do. In Titus, he says that if you're going to be a good minister, you need to consistently, continually, consistently, uh, uh, Titus 3.8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will affirm that thou, these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they may have that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. As you think about what the good works are, don't stray too far from your home because that's where Paul goes. In your home life, your volition, you chose to be there. So as a wife, here it is. As a husband, here it is. As children, here you go. So we're we're Ephesians 5 and 6, right? But as your children grow up and they begin to do what Ephesians 6 says there, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father. As they begin to honor you, as mom and dad over here, you need to let them honor you. You need to get out of their way. You need to get out of their marriage. You need to get out of it. It's not your place. You're no longer mom and dad in that they're your children. You're mom and you're now grandma and grandpa. If they have kids, you've got to release them to their adulthood. Why? Because that's a good work. Nitpicking and and micromanaging doesn't get it done. What's the good work? Let them go. Let them grow up. You've taught them. You've raised them. You've educated them. Let them go. Exhortation comes from Scripture. 2 Thessalonians Thessalonians 4, verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort comes from Scripture. Edifying, to instruct them, exhortation, to warn them, comfort, to come and give, to console. Come back to Romans 8. And you see this in Romans 8. You see, folks, when you think about good works, he's not talking about winning the world to Jesus. He talks about in your life, where you are, Let's let's win that. Let's be that. Let's be the proper example of the believer there. Let's honor marriage. Let's honor family. And you know how you honor that? If it's not yours, stay out of it. It's not your business. Your business is in your home. Chaps my hide when I hear about people meddling in other people's homes. It's not their business. Yeah, but they're my kid. No, they're not. They're an adult. They got married. It's a new identity. It's a new home, and you need to respect that. You know why? Not because Rick said it, because God's Word says that. And if you're meddling in it, you're violating God's Word. Now knock it off. All right, I'm off my stump. It's crazy. It just chaps me. Okay. No, not, not never mind. You know, pay attention to this because our activity has consequences. So, by the way, if you're meddling, you're not acting like an adult. You're acting like a child, and you need to grow up, and that's what he's going to do here in Romans 8. I'll get back in the note here. Watch him illustrate this. 
You see, folks, God's grace, what is this thing called grace? It enables us to recognize what's going on in life and then to be able to respond to it, to react to it as adults, as looking at it saying, here's the situation and here's where we need to be. And look at 8.18, because here's a great illustration of it. And I'm using it this way. Paul's not. Paul's teaching the doctrine. But notice something here. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What do we understand from that verse? What's the basic characteristics of the dispensation of grace? Suffering. Why? Why do good thing, bad things happen to good people? Well, that's a dumb question. You know why? Sin. You know why? Verse 19 to 24 there. 23, you live in a sin-cursed creation. That's why. It's like, but what he's doing, what I, what I want you to see here is I want you to see, notice something, how to think about it. How, how an adult is going to look at this. How an adult is going to perceive the. Look at verse, by the way, come back to chapter 5. Something we got to remember. Romans 5. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy. The, the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory. You see, there's glory coming in for you and I. That suffering doesn't even register on the radar. There's glory. You think about the scales, the balance. Glory. The sufferings never even move it. They don't even register a weight. Chapter 5, you have to remember verse 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. You have to remember that you have peace with God. God's not, when the suffering comes, come back to Romans 8, when the suffering comes, God ain't getting you. He's not trying to get even with you. He's not trying to teach you anything. It's just what's going to happen here now in Romans 8. Suffering isn't God getting even with you. Actually, it's what Paul, had from the very beginning of his ministry, has told the body of Christ is coming your way. Look at Acts 14. Do this quickly. Acts 14. In Acts 14, we have Paul... Chapter 13, Paul gets out on the road, his first public ministry, as recorded in, in Scripture. He's been at work, but in Scripture. And in Acts 14, we have a great exhortation of the work, the basic work of ministry. How is this to be done? Well, verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, and they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. First thing you're going to do is you're going to see some lost people get saved. Verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Then you're going to get them established. And that, that we must through much, what? Tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. What's coming your way? Not just tribulation, much tribulation. By the way, then, verse 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and so forth and off you go, you know what the order of ministry is? You get some lost people saved, you get them edified, and you establish a local church. But right from the beginning, what does Paul tell you? You're going to have some tribulation. You're going to have some suffering. Come over to Philippians chapter number 1. Philippians chapter number 1. 
And as you think about this and as you think about suffering, and I'm just using this as an illustration because this is of the issue really to, about being an adult. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians, you know, you think about Acts 16 and the Philippian jailer and the establishment of the church at Philippi there. Verse 29. For unto you it is given in the, in, the, in the behalf of Christ. Not on the behalf, but in the behalf. This is in you. It's inside of you. Not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. What's going to come your way? Happy, happy, happy? No, suffering. But in Christ, what can I do? I, I've been equipped to take care of, to handle it. You go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. And ye became followers of us and of the word, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Chapter 3 and verse 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourself know that we are appointed thereunto. What's coming your way? Suffering. Why? It's a basic characteristic of the dispensation of grace. God's not going to yank you out of it. Come on over to 2 Corinthians 4. God doesn't remove it. He actually, uh, chapter 10, verse 13 says, He's made a way for you to bear it. And that's your escape, is in bearing it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Sorry, moving a little quick. Clock's ticking. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Now, think about this in the way you ought to be thinking. As an adult, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish. What does that mean? That means your outward man's going to do what? If the Lord delays, what's it going to do? It's going to get sick. It's going to hurt. And then it's going to die. Happy, happy, happy. I think about that all the... Well, but yeah. Because absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But keep reading. Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. What am I doing on my inward man? I'm taking the word of God. I'm putting it into my thinking. The Holy Spirit's grabbing it and begins to work and begins to lead me in my proper thinking. For our light affliction. Wait a minute. The afflictions are never light, are they? But God called them what? Light. Which is but for a moment. Hang on a minute. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was sick with food poisoning. Laid me out for four days. Didn't even move. If I canceled Wednesday night, that, that's, it's pretty bad, okay? I got up Friday morning, finally could get up, and I looked at Linda and I said, for the first time I feel old because I wasn't able to bounce back. And it took me two more days and then church here and then Chicago's meeting to kind of get going. It was actually mid-week mid of Chicago that I finally got back to my, my, you know, oomph, let's go. You know what happened? It just, the outward man's perishing. But the inward man, it's being renewed. Why? It works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That light affliction of being sick didn't, wasn't just a moment in time, but when you think about eternity, what is it? It didn't even register, see. None of that's registering on the radar. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are 
eternal, that walk of faith. Come back to Romans 8. So when he says here that we're led of the Spirit and we're the sons of God, we're adults, we're going to cry, Abba, Father, in those moments. And the Spirit begins to work. And you start in verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God. Verse 20, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. God did this. Verse 21, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Right now we have the spirit of adoption. Right now we the adoption, the redemption of our body. Right now we're just we just gotta we have a spirit we have a promise of it. One day it'll that promise will become reality. But until then, what are we to do? Well, verse 25, but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. What are we to be doing? We're to be patiently waiting. But wait a minute, Rick. Life, no, what is an adult going to do? Patiently wait. An adult's going to recognize verse 19 to 24 there. He's going to recognize what's happening. He's going to come over and recognize what is happening. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He's going to recognize that because an attack is on the way. Down in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? All of those physical ailments that come our way. Tribulation and, 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 and again, that's the, the stuff that's common to every man and, and life. And then you have distresses and that's, there's no way to escape this. So I, I just take it out of the way and there's no way. There's persecution and that's that, the, the things that come against us because of what you believe. The famine, economic pressure, nakedness, uh, an, an absence of physical necessity. Peril, dangers of everyday life. And it's getting that way. And then the sword, that's the government, comes up against you. Who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? Verse 37, nay, in all these things, what things? The things of verse 35. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Wow. We're a more than conqueror. You know what? Life is not your enemy. That's what Paul's saying. Life is not the enemy. Life, rather, life is the stage where we have the privilege to live out the culture of humanity. I'm sorry, the culture of heaven here in the ghettos of humanity. We have that privilege of living out the life of Christ for all to see. Because we have a thought process of an adult. And an adult thinks this way. You have to always remember verse 31 what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? 
He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? You know what? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. You have to always remember, come on over to 2 Corinthians 9. 9. 2 Corinthians 9. As you begin to think about what is this thing called grace, we're just kind of in the treetops, tippy tops. And as we look at that issue of the free gift principle and we look at the issues of our identity and we look at the issues of playing according to the right rules and we look at all of that, we also need to praise the Lord for his exceeding riches of his grace. And that he looks down at you at no matter what level of spiritual understanding you are at and he says, you're an adult in my family. And an adult learns and finds out what the father wants to go and do, and he then goes and delights in doing that. Hebrews says, Hebrews 12 says that the Lord, when he was in the garden, it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. When, when Christ looked at Calvary and he would say, not my will, but thy will be done, he said, right before that, he says, hey, if it be possible, that wasn't a question that's a statement of, hey, Father, are we still on a go? Are we still good to go? Hey, did Father, did you check around and see if there's any loopholes, anything? Are we still good to go? Is this what you want done? And before the Father can answer, he says, not my will, but thy will be done. When he looked at that, he cried, Abba, Father, because what did he know? He knew that was what the Father wanted done, and he was willing to go do that. And you and I have that same ability. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 14, And by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And that's what we ought to be praising the Lord for. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the day. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you for your ultimate plan. We'll give you the honor and the glory in that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right.